and welcome to the Trial Talk podcast. I am your host, Charlotte Hartley, and I'm a science communications officer at the MRC Clinical Trials Unit at UCL. In this show, we explore the clinical trial landscape by talking to the clinicians and researchers behind the work we do. If you're interested in learning how our research can help improve healthcare in the UK and around the world, this is the podcast for you. Today is World TB Day, which is observed each year to raise awareness and understanding of one of the world's deadliest infectious diseases, tuberculosis or TB. In this episode, we're going to talk about the STREAM2 trial, which focuses on treating TB that has become resistant to multiple drugs. To find out more, I'm talking to Professor Andrew Nunn, who is one of the chief investigators on the STREAM trial. My name is Andrew Nunn, and I'm working at the Medical Research Council Clinical Trials Unit at University College London. I have actually been working in the field of tuberculosis over many years, um, with some interruptions getting into other areas, but currently have been working particularly in the area of multidrug-resistant TB. So I think to begin with, let's go back to basics. So what is TB? Yeah, so TB is an infectious disease. In fact, it's the probably the oldest infectious disease known to man. If you were to go to the British Museum, you would actually see there are uh, mummies, Egyptian mummies there, with actually evidence of having had TB. So it's been around a very, very long time, and it doesn't seem to be any in any hurry to go away. It is actually transmitted uh, through the air, through coughing or, or speaking or singing, anything like that, little through droplets, in fact. Now, the good thing is not everybody who in, inhales them actually gets gets TB. In fact, for quite a lot of people, the the uh, tubercle bacillus, as it's called, would actually be killed off straight away when it gets when the person inhales it. But for others, in fact, it's something go, it goes into the lungs and it may incidentally then not cause disease straight away because, in fact, in many cases, it that lies dormant. And that's what we call latent TB. And that latent TB may or may not develop into clinical disease later on. Some people are at greater risk of that happening. People with HIV are a particular group of patients who, uh, if they get latent TB, and then uh, that could turn into clinical disease and they get the really active TB. I think in the UK and in other, you know, higher income countries, like you say, it's a very old disease. So I think some people might think of TB as a disease from the past, not something that's really on their radar nowadays. But around the world, how big of a problem is TB? Around the world, it's estimated that about there are 10 million new cases every year. And incidentally, we're not completely exempt from it in this country. There are quite a number of cases every year in this country. Uh, but it's obviously a bigger problem in poorer countries and it's particularly a big problem, incidentally, uh, in areas where there is HIV, because the two diseases to, uh, seem, in fact, unfortunately, to sort of uh, work along together, which actually means there's an increased risk of people having clinical TB. But it is certainly a big problem in the developing world still. So TB would usually be treated with antibiotics. But as I think most people are probably aware, antibiotic resistance is a big and growing problem. And these antibiotics can become ineffective. So could you tell me about some of the options for treating TB that has evolved resistance? Sure. Um, 
we go right back in time, the first drug that became available for TB was a drug called streptomycin, which in fact the results were. Uh, it's a trial conducted by the Medical Research Council, which was published in 1948. It seemed as though that it was really reducing the number of patients, particularly who were the number of patients who were dying. Um, but it quickly became obvious that, in fact, just treating with a single drug, and there was only one drug to begin with, uh, was not sufficient because patients were rapidly developing resistant to that drug. So TB treatment's always been given with multiple drugs. In fact, the standard treatment... Um, or if you or I got TB, we would probably be treated with a, a regime of three or possibly four drugs initially um, for a period, a total period of about six months. And for most people, that treatment would be effective and should, in fact, be sufficient to actually cure their disease. Unfortunately, there are different ways in which people become resistant to the drugs. Um, you can, of course, be infected in the very first place with uh, with infectious TB in the sense that the person who infected you already had got resistant disease themselves. But other ways are that if you're not taking your treatment properly, maybe you're taking some of your drugs and not all of them, or you don't complete your course, then in fact resistance can develop. Now TB hasn't got a vast number of drugs available. In fact, um, until relatively recently, there were two particular drugs which were regarded as fairly fundamental to the treatment of TB. They were rifampicin and isoniazid. Unfortunately, over time, resistance to, particularly to rifampicin, has been developing. In fact, we refer to multidrug resistance, which is a slightly unfortunate term because it doesn't just mean any two drugs. It means resistance to isoniazid and rifampicin. Or equally, it could be, we often talk about just rifampicin-resistant TB, in fact, for those who've got just resistant to that one drug, they really behave in a very similar way to those who are resistant to both the drugs. And that is that is the problem population that really needs to be treated um, in a different way. And in fact, needs really needs new drugs to be able to treat it effectively. Yeah, so multi-drug resistant TB is the focus of the STREAM trials, which is what we're here to talk about today. Absolutely right, yes. So I was wondering, could you tell me a bit about the initial motivation behind the STREAM trials? Because obviously we're talking about STREAM 2, but it began with STREAM 1 a while ago. Well, multi-drug resistant or rifampicin resistant TB only affects about 5% of the cases of TB worldwide. So out of 10 million, that's about half a million cases. And the emphasis in research over the years has really been for the 95% of patients who've got drug-sensitive disease and looking to actually improve their treatments and to reduce the duration of treatment. One doctor started to do some work just looking to see ways of, of treating multidrug-resistant TB in a, in a more effective way than what was being recommended by the World Health Organization, which was based not on clinical trials, but basically on expert opinion and some cohort studies. Now, this particular doctor, Armand van Dern, from his studies, it looks as though there were ways of treating multidrug-resistant TB, which would be more acceptable than what was being given or recommended by the WHO at that time. He was talking about a nine-month regimen at that stage compared to what WHO was recommending, which was a 20 to 24-month regimen. Um, there was a lot of interest in that. Some people immediately said, well, perhaps that's what everybody with MDR-TB should be receiving. Other people thought, well, no, he's just looked at a specialist population, which was, in fact, just in the country of Bangladesh. And that, how do we know that that would work in other populations, particularly in populations where there was also HIV? 
which is not the case, particularly in Bangladesh. So we were invited to conduct a trial to see if the nine-month regimen was actually as, at least as good as the longer regimen. And so that became the Stream 1 study. And we were pleased that, in fact, at the end of the day, uh, we were able to show that the shorter regimen was as effective as the longer WHO regimen. So that was Stream Stage 1. Stream Stage 2 um, came about because we were invited by the funders of Stage 1, which was USAID, the American Development Agency, to consider um, a second study in which we might look to ways of perhaps improving on the regimen that we had been studying in Stage 1. One of the features of the uh, nine-month regimen was it patients had to have an injection uh, for four months. Four of the nine months, they had to have an injection. Now, the drug in question, unfortunately, had a number, like all drugs, had a number of side effects. But in the, this particular case, deafness was a, a real problem. And a number of patients have known to become deaf through taking that injectable and indeed irreversibly deaf as well, which, of course, is not a desirable state of affairs. Yeah, that's a huge side effect to live with forever. It didn't affect everybody by any means, but in fact, it, mm. it was a potential risk. And if it wasn't picked up quickly enough, then you might be in a situation where you had an irreversible situation. So the second study, Stream Stage 2, uh, looked at substituting a different drug, a new drug, in fact, which had only relatively recently been um, received provisional licensing, a drug called bedaquiline, in place of canamycin, the injectable. We had a second intervention as well, new intervention as well, looking at a shorter regimen, a six-month regimen, where we actually retained the injectable for a short period of time, but also gave the newer drug, bedaquiline, as well, together with other companion drugs. So basically, that was the design of Stream Stage 2, um, and was fairly recently completed, in fact. So presumably, now the focus is on getting the results published. Yes, well, we have published... Um, our, our very our first paper of those results, in fact, uh, they were published in The Lancet. And we demonstrated, in fact, the very encouraging finding not, that not only were, was the oral regimen as good as the, um, the nine-month regimen with the injectable, but in fact, it was actually significantly better. And we also got good results from the, the shorter six-month regimen as well. So from that perspective, the trial was really quite successful. And what was the primary endpoint that you were assessing for Stream 2? It, it was a composite endpoint. We were, part of it obviously was to make sure the patient's TB was cured. You know, at the end of the day that they didn't still have evidence of TB. Uh, and to do that, it's not just a question of treating them for the length of the time of the regimen, but also following them up afterwards to make sure they don't relapse or, or, or get the disease recurring later on. But we also measured an outcome in terms of the, accept, the extent to which patients had to change treatment for adverse effects. We regarded that as being an, an unfavorable outcome if you had to make changes to your treatment. So it, it, we also regarded unfavorable anybody who died. It didn't just have to be deaths from TB, but if you died from any reason, because it wasn't always easy to be sure when a death occurred, was it TB? Interestingly, the minority of the unfavorable outcomes were those who had poor TB outcomes. Nearly everybody had a, had a good TB outcome. And we're talking about outcomes now of uh, successful outcomes of around the 90% mark. 
So who was eligible to take part? Well, the trial was obviously addressing the question of multidrug-resistant TB or rifampicin-resistant, which you know, we didn't require they were resistant to both isoniazid and rifampicin, but it, rifampicin was the key drug that they had to be resistant to. We did the study in adults, and including a few adolescents, and also the patients had to be... There was one drug, which a drug called moxifloxacin, which we think was a key part of the treatment regimen. And so a very simple rapid test was done at the outset before enrolment to check that patients were sensitive to that drug. Otherwise, in fact, they could have other comorbidities. Um, a lot of patients had HIV, some of them had diabetes. Um, and of course, that's all part of the picture with TB. And then you say the results so far have been promising. But have you faced any challenges or barriers while you've been conducting or designing the trial? Yes, there are a number of challenges. One of them was, of course, finding uh, suitable sites to conduct the study in. Um, because, as I said earlier, TB is five, uh, multidrug resistant TB represents 5% of the, of the TB population. Now, that's variable. In some parts of the world, it will be less than 5%. In others, in fact, particularly Eastern Europe, in fact, it will be it can be considerably more than 5%. So we needed places where there was uh, sufficient patients to, to be able to join the study. Um, but also, we needed to find a trial uh, group, a research group, or rather, not necessarily called a research group at this stage, but in fact, a group of doctors or clinics, which in fact, we could train to conduct the study. In fact, our largest recruiter in stream stage two was Mongolia. And the, the site in Mongolia had actually never, prior to stream stage one, had never conducted a clinical trial before. So there was a, wow. a tremendous lot of training needed there at the end of the day. But that was probably our biggest challenge. Another challenge was that in the second stage, we, we worked together with the company that made the new drug, Bidaclin, because they wanted to get their full licensing uh, into the FDA in America to, to see whether the drug could receive its full license. And in order to do that, they wanted a lot more investigations than we would normally have done to actually check for the safety of the, of the drugs being used. So these were the sort of challenges that we had to face. Um, but I'm glad to say, in fact, that through training and through the through the really enthusiasm of the sites that we were working with in these other countries, we were able to face the challenges and it, the trial was successful. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a really nice example of how capacity building in other countries really helps the trial along. Um, so Stream 2 is closed and the focus is now is on getting the results out there in the world. But what's next for this research? Well, the, the challenges that we're facing at this point in time are to, in fact, to see ways in which the, the treatment can be made more acceptable. I mean, I, as I said, from a TB point of view, the drugs seem to be working really well. From a toxicity point of view, there is our problem. And in fact, uh, we would really like to see treatments that are more acceptable to patients. We know that all drugs have adverse effects, but unfortunately, TB drugs uh, have rather more than their fair share of them. So one of the main objectives with any future study would be to try to make the regimen more acceptable, more so that patients could tolerate it, and also to make sure that they adhere to treatment. Now, in a clinical trial like the one we've conducted, we were following the patients very closely, so that if somebody stopped um, their treatment in other places or failed to turn up at the clinic, 
we would be looking for them very quickly and, and, and looking to bring them back to the, to the clinic. But un, in many places, that's not so easily done. And it's a real challenge with TB because uh, people feel better relatively soon after they start their treatment, after they've had treatment for a few weeks or a month or two. And if somebody stops taking their treatment after two or three months, and it should be taken, should be taking it for six months or for nine months, then in fact, well, the inevitable result, well, almost inevitable result is in fact, they are going to relapse and the TB will return. And evolve more resistance possibly as well. Exactly. Then you'll get more resistance. And so, and they will get a new episode of TB, but they will also infecting other people and the, the problem generally will get worse. I guess... There are results from Stream 2 that show that these shorter regimens are still effective, go some way towards getting this into the guidelines. Big step in the right direction that way. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah. So finally, what do you think are the wider implications of this research for the treatment of TB and specifically multidrug resistant TB? We, we recognise the fact that TB is still a challenge. I don't think we can sort of ignore the problems that are that are there. There are not an insignificant number of patients with TB who have other diseases as well. It might be, might be diabetes, well, many with HIV, as we know, in Africa, and, and others with problems perhaps with alcohol too. We also recognise that um, TB is a disease that affects children as well, and um, sometimes they tend to get neglected. We've Within the clinical trials unit, we have started to sort of reach out to do more studies amongst children in that respect, because uh, hopefully, in fact, the treatment that works well for adults will work just as well for the children. It should do, because generally speaking, their disease is milder. But they're a group that uh, that we can't afford to neglect. We need to make sure. And also, in fact, how we try to prevent TB. There are other. This is another challenge, you know, in ways of actually stopping TB spreading. What we really need to do is to see how we can best incentivize uh, patients to take their treatment, but also um, accept the fact that uh, it's, it's, it's a partnership, really, I think, that between the doctors and the patients and indeed maybe other social workers as well working alongside people, because there are a lot of patients for whom um, TB is sort of, has what's called catastrophic costs by which we mean that TB actually takes up a lot of their income just in fact of living with TB for however many months it might be before they are, are cured and able to get back to work. WHO has got its goals to sort of see TB eliminated, but uh, and of course that's what we all want to see, but in fact it's not going to happen easily. I mean, we still, the challenges that have been faced in the past, and many of them still still with us, even if we are getting to the point where we're able to treat people for shorter periods of time, which is a good thing. Um, So I think it would be wrong to run away from the the problem in the sense of recognising that uh, TB is not going to to sort of just disappear. um, We've we've still got to keep, keep at it. If you'd like to find out more about Stream and Stream 2, there's lots of information on the MRC Clinical Trials Unit website under Studies. You can also read about the latest results from Stream 2, open access, in The Lancet. Thank you, Andrew, and thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll see you again for the next episode of Trial Talk.